This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Episode 81 of the Equalizer podcast on the day that the teams for the NWSL championship are set. One familiar face, the North Carolina Courage. One new face, the Chicago Red Stars, who finally got over so many humps on Sunday with their one nothing win over Portland Thorns FC. We're going to start there. My name's Dan Lawletta. Chelsea Bush will be with me for the entire show. John Halloran is, um, as we record this, en route back home from SeatGeek Stadium. So he, please excuse the background noise with John. But, uh, John, you just left there a little while ago. Uh, tell us the general mood after the Red Stars finally pulled it off. It was uh, pretty jubilant. This is a team that's been to the semifinals five times and finally got over the hump. They did it at home in front of a very excited and loud 9,000 fans. And I think uh, a lot of weight got lifted off of a lot of people's shoulders tonight. What do you think? You know, you got the Thorns thing. Obviously, they don't care who they beat in this thing. They were just happy to get to the final. But they had to get over the Thorns. They had to get over the semifinal hump. They had to get over the Sam Kerr scoring a goal in a big game hump, you know, in this league. Um, what did you feel was the most significant out, you know, outside of the fact that they're finally in the final? I think definitely the Portland hump. And, you know, you, it's pretty insane when you think about a team that's been as good as Chicago has been since really 2015. And they had not beat Portland since June of 2013, which is a pretty insane statistic when you think about it. And I think that there was a mental hurdle there that they cleared. And, you know, it was, it was impressive to me, especially in the last 15 minutes of that game, when they had subbed on Katie Naughton and it looked like they were really just going to hold on for dear life. And they did a little bit more than that. I thought, especially in the last five minutes or so, when they took the ball down into Portland's end, held possession, killed off the clock very effectively, with a lot of maturity. I think that uh, the experience these players have gained through five semifinals and even some of their younger players being in U.S. national team camps, really paid off. I think there was a lot of mental fortitude on, on half of the uh, Red Stars tonight. Yeah, I thought that, you know, Kerr scored the goal, which was fantastic. I thought it was important for her to score earlier in the match because I thought if it got down to like 70, 75th minute and it, there was no score or they were looking for an equalizer, that she could be in trouble, but she got one early. But I thought Nagasato was the most important player for them. The vision to find Kerr for the goal and then her killing off the match skills there, as you yeah. mentioned, in the last five minutes, I thought were off the charts. I'm not sure I've seen it done better in a big game in the NWSL ever. Yeah, you know, as you mentioned, uh, I, I'm on the road right now, so I haven't been on Twitter in a bit. But uh, I'd really like to see if somebody put together a video of Nagasato killing off the ball, uh, killing off the game, because 
I think she was on the ball there for about 45 straight seconds where nobody could take it off of her. And I thought that was particularly impressive. Yeah, and she had the one play where she got by, um, where she get Kat Reynolds and Emily Menges and then squared one up to Kerr and French made an outrageous save that sort of kept them in the game, but they didn't really have time to do anything at that point. Chelsea, what did you make of this one? Well, first I have to say uh, kudos to John because that is some dedication to do the podcast from the car uh, <laughs> after a game. So um, I, I was mostly impressed by Chicago. I don't think it was it was necessarily their best 90 minutes ever. There was a, a long stretch, you know, maybe last 20 or 30 minutes of the first half that I thought Portland could have come back into it, um, but they, they didn't. But I think that Kerr put – that uh, doesn't show up in big games nonsense to, to rest. And, and not just the goal. I think she had just had a really good game overall. I think I agree. Nagasato was probably the player of the match for me. I just thought Casey Short didn't have her best match. Agree. Um, yeah. And actually, I, I'd written a piece about how she and uh, Tobin Heath would be the matchup to watch of, of the entire weekend. So naturally, that's probably my fault. So apologies to both of them. I, I put the voodoo <laughs> on them. Portland is... Um, Portland's kind of what we've seen from them really since the the last time they played Chicago when they beat them 3-0. You know, they they never seemed to, to get over that that 6-0 loss to North Carolina. And I, I think that I like that Mark Parsons was willing to switch up the lineup, you know. Um, obviously, he, it was an admission that things weren't working. But I also have to question, you know, after the fact, I started thinking about this, maybe, you know, Andresini has gotten very limited minutes this season. And I wonder if you know, you're asking a bit too much in a big game to, to kind of throw things up, at the, you know, switch them up at the last minute. Um, but I just, I watched that team and I'm, I'm going, they, I don't, I don't see the, the hustle. I don't see a sense of urgency from them. Um, and it's been that way for, for a couple of months. And I, and I want to know what's going on in their heads. What's going on in that locker room that these players are struggling so much because they're, they're perfectly talented. They, um, they're experienced, they're talented, that they have the willingness to do it. It's not there. And on the Andresina front, she didn't have a really good season for them last year. So, you know, I agree, you know, you don't want to have a team go out doing the same things they've been doing as they've struggled down the stretch. But I thought Andresina was a weird choice because I don't, you know, it's not like you're going into the Wayback Machine and finding a great Andresina moment for the Thorns. I don't think she's been very good acquisition for them at all since she's gotten there. No, no, I, I agree with that. And I mean, like I guess I just, I, I found myself very disappointed in the players because I think they're all capable of being better. And yes, I know that they've, people have said well, they're, they're tired, but what excuse do they have for being any more tired than any other team? Every team in, in the league was affected by the world cup. Every team, but Houston was affected by the victory tour. Um, and, and frankly, their schedule should have set them up to maybe be a little bit more rested towards the second half of the season because they were at home a little bit more often um, just a lot more because often. <laughs> of cir- just because of circumstances, you know what I'm saying? So I think that, you know, listen, I, I like Mark Parsons. I think he's a great coach. I think he's, he's done a lot of good things with this team. I mean, he's no way should his job be in trouble, but I think he has a lot of questions to ask of himself and of his team going into this off season, because this is not the thorns that we know. And it's this mostly the same players. John, did you get to do a lot of thorns post game? Uh, we talked to Parsons, but, uh, it was, it was relatively brief. Um, you know, it, it's interesting what, what Chelsea's saying too, because you just look at the way that they set up from the beginning with switching to that, that 
5-3-2, I guess, with playing Tobin Heath as, a, as an out-and-out forward with Sinclair, which seemed to kind of push both of them into roles that maybe that they weren't going to be their most effective. Sitting Midge Purse, which I think was a bit of a questionable decision. And, um, you know, I agree with what Chelsea's saying. It doesn't seem to make sense that they would be any more tired than anybody else, but it definitely looks like it because – they have killers on their team. Lindsey Horan is a killer. Tobin Heath is a killer. Christine Sinclair is a killer. And they just did not have that instinct that I have seen them have time and time again when it comes to big games. It was just missing. Well, two things to piggyback off that. Horan can't be completely healthy, right? Yeah, probably not. I mean, you go back, she missed, she believes, right? Because she was injured and then she kind of wound up being the odd woman out in the midfield at the World Cup started off because she was injured then she missed some more time when she came back i just can't believe she can be as poor as she was today at 100 percent. it was weird too because like you could see there were certain points where it almost seemed like she was forcing herself forward whereas in the past like last year when she was essentially unplayable the entire season it, that was all very organic, that Portland would hold the ball, would work it out wide, and she'd be able to kind of sneak up into these into these more forward spaces and create and score goals, whereas that was not happening naturally today. And the, and the other thing is that I didn't love that Chicago absorbed so much pressure for so many, so, such a long stretch in the second half. Do you think Dame's got away with that, or... Do you think he realized the Thorns weren't going to do it? Because there's not only, not only you say they're all killers, but like Tobin Heath does things that are so unconventional that she can tear a defense apart just with an awkward touch that you're not expecting. And then yeah. all hell breaks loose. Like, cause I, I think I, Chelsea, I think I said to you about the 65th minute, Red Stars are not going to win this way. And I was shocked that they held on and they eventually did, you know, get a little foothold at the end, like John right. mentioned. But do you think Dame's got away with this one a little bit? You know, it's interesting because I said the same thing. I said well, it was one nothing, and maybe the 55th, 60th minute, and I said they're going to need another one. They're not going to be able to hold on to this. Or at least and play possession they, even. Right. And then when they brought Katie Naughton in and they were playing her as a center midfielder, it reminded me a lot of what Jill Ellis had done against France in the quarterfinals of the World Cup where I thought that they were bunkering too early. And I thought, you're bringing Naughton in. You're asking her to play a really – because she wasn't playing a six. She was literally playing the ten, which, you know, she's a center back. Um, so that didn't make a lot of sense. And I thought, you know, you, you wondered. You wondered, is this him? He, you know, maybe he's not sure if his team can hold out. He's going to try to hold on for 15 minutes and grind it out. It seemed like a bold call at the time, but obviously it ended up working out. And then – when Portland brought on the extra forward, they were able to push Naughton into the back line and play a five back, and so it ended up working out pretty well in the end. Chelsea, what did you think of the uh, second half tactics? Um, I like I, I kind of agree with you guys in the sense that yes, I, I thought that they were inviting too much pressure, but I, I there were so few times even when. Portland made some substitutions that I thought they really, really, truly looked dangerous. Um, so that, yeah, maybe with, maybe with a different team, you know, Chicago would have would have made a mistake, um, and maybe they did get a little bit lucky. But yeah, Portland just even when they brought on you know Razzo and Purse, who are much 
faster players should have been able to get behind that back line and you know did occasionally but I said never really I didn't think listen there had to have a huge game to, to get this win correct I think you play the same game last year Haran finds a way to score yeah. yeah or Sinclair or he, he I mean they were just I think Haran's probably the biggest most most glaring um difference between last year and this year but I think there are other players that just aren't coming up as big as you would expect them to there's the old hockey saying, your best players have to be your best players, which I always find kind of corny, but kind of similar. I put something out on Twitter about how none of the Thorns' best players were really playing well, and someone wrote back that Brian's daughter was playing pretty well. Like, that kind of illustrates the point. Like, Brian's daughter is a fine player, but if she's the one you're singling out, then you're probably going to be where they are, which is home watching the final. Yeah. Um, John, real quick. Red Stars now, uh, do they go to North Carolina with a sense of satisfaction, we've got nothing to lose, or do they go in completely relaxed and super dangerous? Actually, I think those are kind of the same thing in that I, I think that they are viewing this as the pressures on North Carolina to repeat in their home stadium. And, um, you know, they have the opportunity to go in there finally having cleared that hurdle. I don't think – They'll, they'll be in a, in a position where they're satisfied. Um, I think they do want to win this championship. I think, you know, as Claire Watkins wrote this week, that there is a little bit of a feeling that this group might not be the same group next year, and they've got to take advantage of it while they have it. But I think there's also some things this year that are different about this team. You know, they have Morgan Bryan healthy for the first time ever. Um, probably in her in her NWSL career. Yeah, for sure. They, you know, they, they put Kierna Davidson and Julie Ertz into the back line at the start of this winning streak, and you're seeing two national team center backs control the game in a much better way uh, than they have been controlling games earlier in the season. They finally got Danielle Colaprico past this point of exhaustion that she was at. They got Curtis score, as you mentioned, a big goal in a big game. So I think there's a dynamic maybe to this team that we haven't seen even in those other years when they lost in this in this place. Do you get the feeling that everybody is preparing that this is it for Sam Kerr? I don't know. I really don't. And I would encourage anybody to read uh, our friend Sandra Herrera's piece this week because I think that was the most actual real reporting anybody has done on it beyond uh, speculation. I do think that she has not made up her mind and that there's going to be a decision that comes after the season, but I really do believe she's being honest when she says that she's focused on the final at this point, that she's focused on this season, and then she'll make a decision when she makes a decision. Any uh, any parting shots before we uh, carry on the rest of the pod without you? Uh, no, it's, uh, it was a fun night. It was 9,000 fans. It's nice to see Chicago bring that many out, and they were loud, and uh, it was a fun game to watch. It was nice to see you know, a lot of these, these players and, and people that you've covered for a long time finally get over that hump and uh, be able to experience that because they've been so close so many times before. Uh, did you see uh, the Jen Hildreth tweet, 19 19- Pages of sports coverage in the local papers, no Red Stars mentioned? You know, I, I didn't, but I did see the Tribune and the Sun-Times there tonight. So 
It, you know, the local coverage in the past has not been great, but the Tribune's been out at least twice. Sometimes have been out, I think, four or five times this year. So there's at least recognition that the team exists in the Chicago sports market, which I think is, is step one. All right. Well, you got to start somewhere. Hopefully it's a turning point, not just jumping on the playoff bandwagon. John, thanks for uh, checking in from the car. And we'll see yep. you in North Carolina. We'll be, we'll be back with more on episode 81 of the Equalizer podcast. Hey everyone, Jeff Kasuf here with some exciting news about the 2020 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Baltimore. The Equalizer will once again be there on Podcast Row, bringing you exclusive podcast interviews with some of the best minds in the game. Registration is now open for the convention, and you can make your plans to join us in Baltimore from January 15th to the 19th for networking, coaching education, and licensing. And of course, there's the annual NWSL draft, which you can come watch as a fan. We're at the convention every year, and honestly, it's the one week on the calendar annually where everyone who's anyone in U.S. soccer is truly in the same place at the same time. Register before December 11th for the best rates by going to unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org and stop by Podcast Row to chat with your hosts from The Equalizer. That's unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org for more information. We'll see you in Baltimore. Segment two, episode 81 on the Equalizer podcast with a reminder to please rate and review the Equalizer podcast today. The better reviews and better ratings that you give us, the more great content we can send your way. So please rate and review the Equalizer podcast today. We thank John for jumping in during his car ride on the uh, way back from SeatGeek Stadium. Not an easy commute for John. Uh, Chelsea and I can relate because we, neither one of us, live uh, within an hour. You're a lot longer than that away from the nearest NWSL team. But uh, what'd you make of the North Carolina Rain FC affair that got us started? Uh, I, <laughs> whew, so eloquent. Um, <laughs> I would not have thought for, you know, the first 90 minutes of that game that we would end up with a 4-1 score for sure. I, th I thought that um, the rain did tactically got it very right, but they, they just didn't have the personnel to to get them on the break. I just don't think that the Jody Taylor is, is going to get behind the back line like like you need to to get on a pass for Megan Rapino. And it didn't it didn't it didn't happen. Um but 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 defensively I thought they were they were pretty sound and obviously still had to have a huge game from Casey Murphy. I was very impressed with her. This, yeah. this game. Mur um, yeah, Mur Murphy was the star for, for the rain, for sure. For sure. But, yeah, they just, they, they gave it a really valiant effort, but, and then they didn't, I mean, obviously, when they went to their their bench, that was who made the difference maker, but they just didn't have enough. I mean, you especially saw it in extra time. They they were just, they were worn out. They, they didn't have the level of players that North Carolina could pull off their bench. I mean, they got, you know, Kristen Hamilton come off their bench. They got McCall Zabroni to come off their bench. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that Vatko did the best he could and probably better than most coaches would have done with what he had at hand. But that that was a hard one. And it just it was a little bit unfortunate that they, they did work so hard to get to extra time. And then the score ended up being like that because I don't think this, the 4-1 score reflects the entire game as a whole. Um, and also um, – yeah, North Carolina missed, missed some sitters. I thought there was a really early one where Lynn Williams got, got loose and just sent it wide. They sent a lot of balls over the crossbar, and it kind of 
like I said, for 90 minutes looked to me like PK was all they were going to get. And I was said something to you then indicated that how <laughs> frustrated I was that that was going to be what what was the game was that PK. Although obviously that didn't end up happening. Yeah, I have a slightly different take on that than you did. But um, before I get to that, I yeah, they missed some shots. And I remember the one you're talking about where Williams sent wide. But I also thought the rain did a really good job of forcing them to stay outside and not really get any great chances. I thought they were like half to three quarter chances at best. And the two great saves that Murphy made were the highlight for me, except for the Dabinia free kick of the match. And what I liked about them was that she was decisive in how she handled them. Both times she came racing out towards Lynn Williams. And maybe you're not going to make that save, but there was zero hesitation. She made an early decision. I'm going to run out there and try to stop it before she has a chance to chip me or anything like that. And I'm either going to live or die with it. And I think that's a sign of a really good goalkeeper because you can change the decision you make, but you can't change whether or not, you know, later, I'm, you know, for future, you know, instances, you can change the decision you make, but if you're indecisive, you're dead. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's kind of what's setting her apart from some other young keepers that we've seen is that decision making. Not that she's always, you know, she's, she's made some, in the latter half of the season, made some poor decisions and gave up maybe some some soft goals. But, you know, we know she has the athleticism. She's easily the tallest keeper in the league. Um, but, yeah, she combines that with, with a decisiveness to do what needs to be done, and she commits. And I, I like the way that she reads the game. I think she does that very well. And you can almost – there was one, and I'm trying to remember who it, it was. I think maybe it was on Williams um, where somebody flashed the ball across the, the goal and – it was like almost before the person who passed the ball passed it, she knew what was going to happen and was coming out and was ready for it. And I, I think that bodes very, very well for her future. Yeah, I think so too. I'm sure she got um, a good bout of experience playing in France and probably, uh, you know what, I think all players honestly would do well to take the Casey Murphy track and go spend like eight months in Europe because it's just a different style of play over there even you know regardless of how well you do or what team you're on i wonder how much better she is for having been over there but you know she and that's another you know i mean how many great stories on this team you know balser coming out of the naia started in central midfield today which maybe wasn't her best spot but you know you got to do what you got to do and your roster's all depleted casey murphy was basically signed to be the third string keeper to back up betos until lydia williams got back Betos and Williams both get hurt. Boom, she's the starter since Memorial Day. And now she's basically the Reigns' long-term goalkeeper and I think probably gets a call-up pretty soon, especially based on who we think the next coach will be. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And I would also, um, Anamanu, you know, the kind of the path she's taken from, you know, getting waived by Portland. And I believe she was signed as a replacement player, correct? Yep. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, scores the goal that sends them in the extra time which didn't work out but I mean talk about a last gasp effort that was that was exciting for sure absolutely now I have a little bit of a different take than you and other people on the penalty call on Lauren Barnes and you know Barnes had an unfortunate game because I thought she was pretty good in the game but she got called for the penalty and then the own goal which was also a little bit unfortunate there and in extra time was charged to her but I look at that as she was out of position, you know, or stretched or whatever you want to call it. And she had to make a recovery run. So credit the courage for having her have to make that recovery run. And unfortunately, she got her hand up. I mean, it's a no brainer call. You know, we've you know, every time you see a penalty, 
you're always thinking, please make this a good call. This one was a no-brainer. But I thought she had to. I thought she did it because she needed to make a recovery run, and she just didn't do it good enough. Yeah, I mean, I'm not just. I think agree with you that it's a very easy call. It was, you know, very clearly a handball, and it, and it was an easy call to make. And you never get a, a penalty kick without getting yourself in a dangerous, dangerous area. I'm not saying the courage didn't do the work to, to earn it. And obviously at that point you still have to put it away. I think it was a very well taken penalty kick, which is what I would expect from Heather O'Reilly. And there is a little bit of a, of a nice closure to her story to be the one to step up playing, you know, in a game where she's playing in a familiar position, the very end of her career. And, and she scores the goal that, you know, obviously was not being the game winning goal, but a very important goal. Um, it's really, I just it's really great. Yeah. I, I just don't, like to see games decided by penalty kicks and especially if, if that was the only goal that game had had I would have been very very disappointed I can see that but I, I thought it was well I thought it was well earned you know the, the courage were the way better team and it wasn't like the, when they beat Houston that one nothing game when they should have had a penalty and then you know Houston went kind of somewhat toe-to-toe with them and then it was a really horrible penalty call um, but the O'Reilly story is wonderful I tweeted when they had the uh, the game that honored her, what I don't know, I guess early September or late August, I said this will probably be the last soccer game she ever starts. And, you know, not everybody on Twitter appreciated that. And I didn't realize Merritt Mathias would get hurt, speaking of that Houston game. Um, but now here she is playing outside back, and who else to step up and take that PK? And they've got a lot of players who could have taken that. And, and, and she stepped in and cool, calm, collected, and... You know, it would have been a cool story if if that was the only goal from that angle anyway. Yeah, from that angle. And to me, I thought it was a, a no-brainer to have her take it. I mean, she's taken penalty kicks in more, you know, pressure cooker situations than probably the rest of that team put together. So, and I, and yeah. I had thought maybe Catley and Rapino could combine and give her some trouble. It didn't happen. And now all she has to do is go and take on Yuki Nagasato next week to close out her career. Easy, right? Yeah, who's only, you know, the best player in, in her semifinal. But I, uh, I do think, you know, looking at the two, and obviously this this will come later, I, I do think the courage that we saw tonight needs to do better next week. Yeah, I think so, too. I don't think the Red Stars are going to pack it in the way the rain did, so I think it'll be a very different kind of match. But, yeah, I thought they were kind of average. I was... Just going to say, you know, we're not really talking about the Courage who are all into their fourth final, you know, in a row. Are we just bored with them or did they not really play that inspired? No, I mean, they scored four goals in the playoff game. Obviously, they were inspired, even if it it took a while, you know, because as it always happens, they may leave it late. But once they get going, it's just like a a snowball rolling downhill. Um, Yeah, I think there's there's an expectation there. I think that... They, you know, they stumbled some moments through the season, but I think they kind of picked up speed. I mean, they, you know, had those two six nil games or six, not six nothing, but I think it was six nil, six one. Yeah. Games. Anyway, they scored a, a bunch of goals, right? They, they, they set a record again. Um, so I think there was a, a sense of inevitability. They won the shield. You kind of expect at that point that they're going to do pretty good in the playoffs, even though anything can happen. They, they drew the team that, you know, we probably we, the more lopsided game of the two. I thought, you know, looking on paper, there is a sense of inevitability about it. And what, you know, that speaks to uh, how accustomed we've gotten to them being so good, which is obviously a compliment to Paul Riley and and the team. You know, I've spoken in the past about how I find it a little bit disappointing where we're kind of 
getting a little bit repetitive and who we see doing well and who we see, you know, not doing well. Um, but it, it does speak very highly of them that we just assume they're going to be competitive regardless of really even, you know, when they weren't at the top of the, the table. I never really thought they weren't going to figure it out and get get here. Yeah, I mean, you know, they, they were never going to be as good as they were last year. That was just never going. And I think they knew that. So I think it was almost a relief when the unbeaten streak finally ended and they maybe struggled a little bit. Uh, and, you know, weird things come your way, right? Roland had that horrible game, I think, against the rain, in fact. Um, and then they had they went to Sam Lishnak in goal for a couple of matches until LeBay got back from the World Cup, uh, which is, you know, that's testament to Paul Riley because not every coach would do that. Not every coach would move McCall Zerboni to the bench because it just happened to be the best thing for the team after she, you know, has been this basically the focal point of Riley's midfield for so many years at this point. So, you know, I think that also helps because, you know, you know, there, I think it's harder to get complacent when you win a lot, when you know that your coach is willing to take you out of the lineup if he sees fit. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, we, we kind of like to make jokes about the whole underdog mentality, but obviously whatever he truly is doing in that locker room works because I rarely say that the courage don't look motivated, don't look hungry to be out in that field. Um, whoever's on the field at any given time. Uh, so I've said all last year, their desire to be great every week is remarkable. Even when they don't need the results, you know, even when they might be tired, you know, there was a stretch, right? I think Dal Kemper after I, there was some, and maybe it was, um, tournament of nations and then she had a game like three and six days later for the courage and played all 90 minutes both times and played pretty well in fact it's it, it's pretty remarkable it is and again i didn't like who stood out to you today i don't think anybody did for me um i think if i had to pick someone i'd, I'd say dabinia i think she had a very strong i'm actually kind of thought she sold the foul a little bit that she gave that fantastic free kick on but you know, I, I think she was she was very dangerous this game all season. I mean, I think she's she's been a standout to me. I thought that O'Sullivan did a lot of good defensive work. Um, yeah, I think those are the two that probably stood out to me. I thought they controlled the midfield pretty well. Yeah, I was happy to see Dabini get a little love as the MVP finalist because she has had a terrific season on that team. All right, uh, before we get, before we get out of this segment, Rain. You know, do they simply? We we know they're likely going to need a new head coach, which is and they're probably not going to get one as good as who they have now. But is it just a matter of they get their players back and they're okay, or do you see that they need to make some big, huge sweeping change? Because I think in some ways they might be structured better than the Thorns. I think that it's a little bit in the middle. Obviously, having all their players back is going to help. I do think that there are some core players on their team that are that are aging. You know, Taylor, Rapino, they're kind of getting towards the end of their careers, I, sh- I should say. And so I think that they need to kind of start keeping one eye, you know, and likely both of them will, will miss time for the Olympics next year. So I think that you need to kind of keep one eye on, on who's who your next stars are going to be. Um, but I, I think they're they're in a good place to move forward when, when everybody is healthy. They're in a good place. And obviously... I think you keep Murphy as the number one going forward, and that gives you a keeper to, to maybe trade and get something out of because all three of them, you know, that that's 
you know, maybe maybe Betos is, is okay with being a number two. I don't think Williams, who's, you know, a keep, keeper for an international team, is going to be satisfied with being on the bench. So I think not many places need keepers, but that gives you an option to maybe try and get something out of. So Yeah, and I don't know how quickly Betos makes it back either. That's a really tough injury to come back from. That, that might be a full year for the uh, for the torn Achilles. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know, but that's pretty brutal. Yeah, that, that's you know that's on an ACL where we've cut down the return time by by quite a bit on those. But uh, I do know she last I heard anyway she was intending to come back. And w- look with expansion in the mix, you know, player like Michelle Betos is custom made for expansion because she is uh, very good, uh, you know, in the locker room so to speak, and you know probably won't be getting called into the national team. But as long as she wants to play, I think there's a spot for her. And the more you know, you add a few more teams, and she's probably a number one somewhere. All right, uh, two semifinals in the books, two segments of the Equalizer podcast in the books. We'll come back, take a few questions, talk a little about the final, maybe a little about postseason awards uh, with Chelsea. I'm Dan on the Equalizer podcast. Third and final segment of the Equalizer podcast, Chelsea Bush and myself, Dan Lawletta. Uh, This is episode 81, and it's time for the Equalizer Soccer Sports Reference Stat of the Week brought to us by our friends at sportsreference.com. Today's Red Stars-Thorns game was the fourth 1-0 final in the history of the NWSL playoffs. And a pretty good list of players who have scored the goals in these games. You go back to the 2015 final, and Heather O'Reilly actually had the assist in that one to Amy Rodriguez. And it looked like O'Reilly would be a a goal scorer in a 1-0 game today, but the rain had other things to say about that. Uh, Then in 2017, the semifinal Goal for the Courage, Denise O'Sullivan. They beat the Red Stars. The 15th final, if you forgot, was FC Kansas City over the rain. The 2017 final, everybody's favorite game. Thorns beat the Courage on the goal by Lindsey Horan. And then today, Sam Kerr with the only goal, the earliest goal ever in a 1-0 playoff game. Red Stars beat the Thorns. So four 1-0 games in the NWSL playoffs. Finals in 2015 and 17 with goals by Amy Rodriguez. And Lindsay Horan semifinals in 2017 and 19 with goals by Denise O'Sullivan and Sam Kerr. And that is the Equalizer Soccer Sports Reference Stat of the Week. And please make sure to check out Sports Reference's great and ever-growing uh, women's sports, women's soccer content at fbref.com. That's FB like football, fbref.com. And Chelsea, since we're talking old playoff games, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. I thought Casey Murphy's performance today was a little bit reminiscent of 2015 semifinal Ashlyn Harris for the Spirit against the Rain, played out of her mind for about 70 minutes, and then Yanez came in off the bench and I think scored on her first touch, and the Rain won 3-0, and there was like zero chance the Spirit were ever going to score, even though the Rain did score today. Uh, am I jogging any memory, or am I really yeah, on this? Yeah, I... No, no, I I actually remember that that game quite well, and I think you're you're exactly right. She she was like the only one keeping them in that game. Like they were never. It was kind of like this. They were never going to win that game. Um, in fact, I think didn't they lose their regular season fi- finale to the rain like a week before? I will check that out while we uh, babble a little bit. Yeah, I feel like maybe they did. I think I, even I could be completely wrong about everything, but I feel like maybe it was even a 3-0 score as well. Something weird like that. Anyway, yeah, I remember that. She was good for about seven. I mean, she was good the whole game, but really kept him in 
70, 75 minutes and then just like the floodgates kind of kind of opened and that felt like kind of inevitable. But I don't know, I was still bad for keepers in that situation because you can only hold hold it together for so long. You can only keep your team in the game for so long if you're the only one doing it. And it just has to be frustrating to play so well and to, to be so lauded and still lose the game. You're half right. They played the rain in Washington September 5th, eight days before the final in that game was two to one. Okay. I was, there were three goals though. So exactly, I get like an exactly. extra quarter of a point for that. Exactly. Maybe one of them was an own goal and then it could have gone. <laughs> all came I don't recall first. that closely. No. Yeah. I, I don't know either. Um, now that ironically enough, that was Harris's last game as a member of the spirit because the spirit were nice enough to leave her exposed in the expansion draft so that Orlando could take her. Now, they didn't just blindly leave her exposed. They could protect three um, U.S. players. They decided to protect Dunn and Krieger uh, because they knew Harris wanted to go, and they could have played hardball, but they didn't, so uh, good job there by the Spirit. But interesting because that dovetails with the fact that we've got an announcement on Tuesday. We actually have a teased announcement that Louisville FC – uh, the USL championship team will be launching an expansion team, an NWSL, in 2021. They're actually going to have a little runway for this thing. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Well, it's crazy that we could potentially have a 21 team, 2021 team announced before we have a 2020 team announced, if that actually does yeah, happen. There's just totally plenty crazy. of time. Like This is so much longer than the buildup that we've ever gotten for any expansion team. I mean, Houston came in very last minute. Orlando had, had been a bit more leeway, but it was, I think it was around this time, roughly, you know, around the end of the season. This is just, it, it's kind of crazy. And it's good go, because it gives the coaches an extra year to kind of prepare for what's going to happen for the rosters. So they can all try to acquire draft picks from Rory Dames. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And it gives um, and he's already got one, I think, for 2021. There's a condition on it, but he got a conditional first rounder from Utah in that press trade. I can't imagine what condition would not have been triggered that would have given him that pick. So uh, we'll see what we can find out about that. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it would be so great. And they're opening a new stadium in 2020, which is, I guess, why they don't want to also launch an NWSL team at the same time. But. I think it's great because you get a whole year to promote the team, you know, do whatever you're going to do in the city. You can hire staff. You can hire a coach. You can do a whole lot of things that none of these teams could do. And I get the dash coming in late because they had, I don't know what got them tipped off, but they did that little season ticket thing. Like who would buy season tickets? And they got a thousand responses right away. Like, yeah, we want in. And at the time the league's not in a position to say no. Uh, Orlando, I think was in, a good amount before the announcement and the final that year, that was the year of the, uh, the uh, Amy Rodriguez one, nothing game. The Orlando ownership was at that final and they were in all the owners meetings and stuff. So that was all but set at that point. Um, but I don't know why if, you know, this Sacramento thing that we reported. So, uh, you know, I stand by that reporting. I don't know what the holdup is or why you would make the 2020. Like it's not like we all we wanted to do is like, just make league, make these announcements and now they're making an announcement so far in advance that you're almost like, well, why are you making this announcement when you have that announcement <laughs> yeah. to make? It's, uh, but, it's uh, very yeah, interesting. And if, I'm, if I'm Louisville, you know, that gives you a year to try and work out some sort of deal because I don't know that we have any players off the top of my head from Louisville, but we do have some from Cincinnati, which is just a little ways across the river. 
Um, so I think you, you start asking, I think, what, Lavelle's from there. Um, yep, that's the big one. So I think. Get Heather so, Mitz out of retirement. Yeah, yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, she'll at least be a, a face for the team, if nothing else. Yeah, do yeah. some promo for it. you got to work those angles. Yeah, you know, I was actually debating with someone earlier about the possibility of, you know, whether Morgan would go out to Northern California and, you know, you know, like she can sell tickets for your team. We got to move to a point though where, you know, you know, look, if you know you want to go to your hometown team, you can make it work. That's great. But we've got to move to a model here where the cities themselves and the, you know, the teams carry the, the interest and then you got to win. And then, you know, maybe when that player comes in, it's a big deal as a visiting player. But we've got to get to a point where, hey, we've got a team. We're going to support them. We don't need to have like a person who grew up here to, you know, to be there to, to attend. Yeah, hopefully. And as you know, I, I was telling you off the air, I, I've been to Louisville several times. I have family there. I've also been there for work and they they, they love their college sports. I think Louisville City does really well. There's not you know a whole lot of other sports there to compete with it. Um, I think that this this they could do really really well. Yeah, there's AAA baseball, but I always find that you know as popular as minor league baseball could be, it's hard to get fully invested because the decisions that are made are not based on your team winning per se. So it's not an all out you know let's invest and the guy plays well he's going to go to the major leagues or if a guy plays well he's going <laughs> to yeah. get traded to another organization. So yeah I think I, I've said it all along you got to go to markets that want you. You can't force feed your way into markets that don't. And I would guess, I don't know if you've ever been to Sacramento. I haven't been to either city, but I would think Sacramento is kind of similar, right? They've got the Kings. I don't know where the support came from for Sacramento Republic, but it's there. That's about it out there. Yeah, yeah, I don't uh, I don't know much else that's there. I've never, I've never been there. Well, maybe we will uh, wind up there at some point if we get this expansion deal done. All right, quick question um, from the uh, EQZ pod hashtag. This is from XOWoso. Now that we have seen the 2015 and 2019 transitions back to NWSL from the World Cup, what should NWSL US soccer do next time? The players understandably look exhausted physically and mentally and have made some vocal comments Against the VT, I don't know what what's what what's VT. Victory tour. Victory tour. There you go. Thank you. Uh, other ideas. I was actually thinking about this during the game, watching Rapino, and I think uh, they had mentioned that the broadcast team asked her how she was feeling, and she said, "I'm tired." And she played tired, to be honest with you. Um, I don't think there's a great answer because so much of the league is dependent on the U.S. players, and U.S. soccer is not going to change this. So I, I I don't know. I think they're between a rock and a hard place here. Yeah, I mean, they're never going to get rid of the Victor Tour. And honestly, the, as much as the players maybe want to complain about it, they don't want to get rid of it either. That's They get bonuses for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're they're financially benefiting from the Victor Tour in a number of, of ways. Uh, I think one thing they can do is respect the international windows. They, they didn't do that this time. I don't think they did that in 2015 because I don't think – even the league respected international windows at that point in time. Yeah. So that's something. Stop pulling them from games. And maybe, you know, don't hit every single window. You know, maybe you, you know, let's say that the World Cup wraps up in July. You leave that August window open. You hit September. You hit, you know, maybe November. 
and just do four games. You know, I don't think that you have to have an August camp and a September camp and an October camp and a November camp. I've or pretty... you, you know, and the players claim that they wanted they want this to be better. How about you put it actually in your CBA that you have to sit out a camp? So that way you're not looked down upon for skipping the camp and you're not necessarily getting beat by somebody that goes into more camps. So like between July, August and September, whatever it is, every player has to, no matter what, miss one camp. And you can do that every year. Yeah. Don't get too excited all at once now. No, I'm just, I mean, I just, I'm not sure the players would, I mean, I, I think they would say they would go for it, but I think there's always fear of losing your spot. There's not getting, again, they, they get paid for going to these things. Um, but I, I would like it to be maybe a little bit more regimented as just to how many times they can, even allocated players can, can play, can go to camps and play for the team. And maybe just a built-in break for everyone wouldn't be that, that big of a deal. I mean, I've, I've gone on record to say is I think that they should let all the World Cup players have a break for November and just call in others, but that's never going to happen. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, Rapino tired, you figure this is it. Her year's over. It's not over. She's got to get geared up for another camp, possibly for a new coach. So you don't want to, you know, you don't want to be half-stepping it through the November camp if the new coach is named by then. Um, I was thinking also, like, how does it compare to Major League Soccer? And I'm not as tuned in to Major League Soccer, but the playoffs this weekend have been outrageously fun and energetic. Um but I think the deal with MLS is that there are there's a lot more different countries in the that send players to MLS, and so there's a lot less a, a lot lower percentage of MLS players that are in the World Cup. So I think it's less of a factor. So I don't know that it's a good comparison. But how about bigger rosters? That always you, helps. You you're going to say something about the MLS. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say that that's kind of apples and oranges, I think, unfortunately. Yeah, I do, too. Um, but, I mean, a bigger bigger rosters and you wouldn't have to necessarily, you know, rely on these players quite so much. Bigger rosters. And then maybe also you you look at the NWSL, figure out the scheduling so you're not having all these midweek games at the end of the season. That just, that just makes matters worse. Yeah, well, more tired. if they can stick to even numbers of teams, that would be good. But at the same time, they like to backload the schedule behind these events because they think, and they're right, that attendance goes up after a World Cup or after an Olympics. I agree, but maybe you're just, maybe that's where you start working on making the schedule longer. And you play, you know, into October again and things like that. I don't know. I, I hate midweek games. I'm just going to keep saying that. <laughs> I don't mind them every now and again, but I think generally speaking, you want to eliminate them. And it's only going to get harder because they're going to be in Japan for a late Olympics. So that's a whole different ball of wax and even going to Europe. And then if Australia, as we are led to believe, is the leading candidate for 23 with Japan, by the way, as one of the others. And that, you know, those are no those are not easy trips. And they, you know, it's a different cultural you know, conversion, which I imagine, you know, I've never done a trip quite like that, but I imagine that, you know, when you're, when the culture is completely different, you know, I think Europe is different, but probably closer than Japan, you know, I think that probably makes it even harder still. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that the league is going to be quite as inclined to back 
explode the schedule because I don't think you get the same boost, even if they do win the Olympics, that you get from the World Cup just because there's so so much other things going on at the Olympics than just the one sport. So, but it, it does throw a kink into it. All right. Um, and, you know, they also, they went into the fall and the, the objection of the fall was the college jobs, that players couldn't get college jobs. But once you're in the fall, I don't, you know, at, at least for the college thing, it doesn't matter how deep you go into the fall. Now, I don't know that you want to be playing uh, an NWSL championship like they've had a couple of MLS Cups where it's, I think the one in Kansas City was literally in the teens or single digits at some points. Yeah, you, you don't want the snow cup. No, exactly. But you don't, you know, if you've already said, all right, we're not worrying about the college coaching job thing, then, you know, first week of October, last week of October is pretty much the same thing. Uh, real quick, we're going to do a lot of coverage and probably a little podcast previewing the final, but what, what are your initial thoughts on the final? Um, I'm pleased there's a different team. The, the team who's never made the final before, that's always makes things interesting. And I think that, if I'm correct, Chicago's actually had the edge of North Carolina this year. So I think that brings a little bit of a wrinkle to it because – I think our inclination is to say, well, North Carolina, they're at home. They're the shield winner. They've been here before. You know, this is old hat to them by this point. So they, they're better better primed for it. But actually, I kind of think Chicago's had their number this year. Well, and maybe this should have been our stat of the week. But since Ertz and Davidson moved to center back, Chicago six wins, zero draws, zero losses, two goals conceded, including their semifinal. None of those against North Carolina, but... You know, proof is yeah, in the pudding. The two there. goals conceded. Yeah, the two goals conceded to me is the most impressive stat out of all those. Yep. And then, but, you know, Roy. Do you want to say how many goals North Carolina scored in that same time period? A lot. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. Because the 6 one thing was both in there. Then they got four today. Now, that wasn't even the biggest. Um, there's a similar MLS game where DC United tied Toronto in stoppage time. And I think it was 5 1 at the end of the first extra time in that game. So 4-1 wasn't even the most lopsided <laughs> extra time playoff game of the weekend across American soccer. <laughs> That's true. All right. Uh, we're going to get out of here. Uh, we'll be back next weekend uh, in some way, shape, or form following the NWSL championship and look for a special uh, NWSL championship preview pod for Chelsea Bush and John Halloran who joined us for a little bit on his way home from SeatGeek Stadium. I'm Dan Loletta. Thanks for listening to the Equalizer podcast. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. reported three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.